0: You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Do you think God purrs for you? Today, we are going to be discussing Aslan purring. Guys, we're talking about the fifth installation of the Narnia books, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Going to go through all of that. Obviously, you could tell what one of my favorite parts are. This is Systematic Geekology. We are the priest to the geeks. I'm Joshua Noll, one of the co-hosts of the Whole Church Podcast. Today I am joined by Joe Day, host of Buddy Walk with Jesus, and Pastor Will Rose of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Guys, what have y'all been geeking out on lately?
1: Um, I am going back through um, Teen Titans from the early 2000s, the original Teen Titans series, we're on like nice. season three and it is a fantastic nostalgia trip.
0: Yeah. Just almost a perfect series. I'm not sure it's not a perfect series. It's just been a while since I've seen it. So I don't want to say perfect. All right, Will, what you've been geeking out on lately? <laughs> yeah, I, I love those two. And I, and now that I have HBO I've, it's in my queue. Like
2: there's, there's God, there's so much I want to, <laughs> yeah. so much I want to like watch and consume, but the time is limited, but it's there sitting at me staring at me every time I pull up that, that, uh, my list and queue for HBO I'm, I'm geeking out, um, that it's summer. And yes. hopefully, hope I'm going to go to the beach here pretty soon. And uh, I've been watching today. I was watching the World Surf League live contest from El Salvador and the pros surfing down there. And you guys have heard me talk about the WSL before, kind of like the NFL and NBA of of pro surfing. And so the best of the world's down in, in South America right now surfing a contest. And I was trying to get work today. But... In the background watching these surf heats and trying to stay focused but it really wasn't working (laughs) i was watching surfing
0: yeah i lately i've been just rereading miss marvel comics by g Willow wilson Uh, anything that she did i'm like you know with the show going on i'm just diving back into that and it's really one of those man the books are just so drastically better not that the show's not good i just really love those comics well, guys, today we're here. We're going to talk about Voyage of the Dawn Treader, like we said. And you guys have heard, we've done doing this series, our C- year of C.S. Lewis. You've heard Joe's introduction to the Narniad. You've heard Will's introduction. I have yet to be on our C.S. Lewis year, which is amazing because I love C.S. Lewis. I just unfortunately had a really hard time getting into the Narnia books. I actually, uh, and just just kind of going through my history with it, Growing up, I was not a big reader until college, really. And at that point, I was getting my hands on like deep theology books and really heavy reads. And Narnia just didn't really fit that. A lot of the other stuff I read from C.S. Lewis was really intellectually challenging for me. And Narnia was, to me, came off as just kind of, you know, it's a nice story. And just it's a very direct allegory. Cool. Not my cup of tea. I was more, you know, Lord of the Rings. All those like challenging reads for me was sort of my gig and I just dismissed Narnia as Lewis's worst work. Uh, Then, one time at Charleston Southern, we had an event from the uh, C.S. Lewis Institution, and someone came to speak, and was talking about Lewis's theology of the imagination. And he talked about a scene from Voyage of the Dawn Shredder that I'm going to focus on a little bit later, chapter 10, with the magic book, the magician's book. And he talked about how another quote outside of the Nardia books where Lewis talks about how imagination has a way of getting around your intellectual guards and letting you see a picture that you wouldn't be able to see head on. And that's the power of story. And he used this illustration to kind of point to look at what happens with Lucy here and how she's able to see things she wouldn't have been able to see directly and how the book allowed her to see the invisible. I'm going to talk more about that later on, but That's kind of my introduction to Narnia. Still not my favorite series, but once I was able to see the power of imagination, the power of books, I got back into it. I I actually ended up trying to start with Magician's Nephew. Wasn't my cup of tea. I read Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which checks all the marks for me. You know, it's on water. I love all sea related things. It's very episodic, so I could read a part, put it down and come back. Had that. It had the Hamlet kind of like family royal drama stuff going on. Literally checked all the boxes of things that I loved. So once I read it, I had to see all the story around it. And that's what got me into the Narnia ad. So, Joe, we are on the fifth book. Could you summarize the story so far? For those who haven't heard our other four episodes on the books of Narnia, what's going on before this book starts? So,
1: yes, technically, this is book number five. Chronologically, Yes, <laughs> <laughs> this is the uh, the third installment in Amen. In, in the series. Uh, <laughs> eh. <laughs> Who cares about chronologically, <laughs> right? Uh, so we are coming off of the events of obviously the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and then Prince Caspian. The things you know. What does life look like after? the children return home. And in this one, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, we are very much, again, repeating. We we are repeating the process with characters that this is kind of a a last of the originals installment of the Narniad, where we're following the two youngest, uh, Lucy and Edmund. I think Peter, if, I'm, if memory serves me correctly, Peter is, is off at school mm-hmm. and um, Susan is, I believe, in America. Yep. And then the two youngest are staying with their cousin, Eustace. And <laughs> uh, Usis might, in fact, be one of the most annoying characters that I've ever like for people that don't enjoy annoying characters and what they contribute to a story. I fully understand with this particular character why for some people it's such a turnoff, <laughs> especially when you get into um, the movies and stuff like that, because that kid did a fantastic job of bringing this <laughs> character to life. So this time they're brought back and we're not going to – I want to avoid doing a a beat for beat because this is one of those stories that you just have to take in 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 its entirety because I can't possibly do it justice. Um, But they're brought in by way of a painting of a ship. And they are transported into this is very much the seafaring rendition like uh, Mm -hmm. Josh was talking about of the story. And um, after a brief reunion with Caspian, who um, they they realize that it's been three years since they've last been to Narnia and Caspian's uh, tracking down the seven lords of the seven great lords of of Narnia and you go through as your as as you're tracking down each one of these lords there's talk of um Aslan's country in a much clearer way than in books previous and um you have your your typical in in Lewis's works here you have your typical um conflict with the human condition moment if you will uh temptation and personal identity and things like that until eventually things come to a bit of a climax for Eustace who uh gets turned into a dragon <laughs> yeah like I said, there's so much that happens in the in each one of these books that if if I could just re- make the recommendation now, just go through and read them, like we've been saying for the last several episodes as we've covered the Narniad. But but in and you see kind of a coming of tale moment for coming of age tale moment of Eustace. You see him uh, kind of a fast track of his maturation process as Aslan is reintroduced into the story and appears miraculously to Eustace, turning him back into a human through the ripping off of the skin in probably the most symbolic moment in the entire story of that shedding process that Eustace has to go through um, at the hands of Aslan, And then we come to a conclusion with the intersection of Asland with uh the kids who are not kids by this point, and we we see that uh they are all sent back the kids um uh, maturing out of their time within Narnia and we see that this time has borne a very significant impact on Eustace even in real world you know
0: yeah i hear turning into a dragon and having you know god rip your skin off and have you born again completely changes you um Mm -hmm. i Mm -hmm. i actually i love i love that whole thing and i loved the the kind of inside joke of everyone liking him better as a dragon yeah (laughs) i was like that was just it was great um will was there anything you would like to add to just kind of the beat to beat what the story is about uh, as far as the voyage of the dawn Treader goes
2: yeah, I mean, I think um, I was just captivated by the, by this particular book because it was the third one that I read uh, when reading, reading through these Narnia series. And I've shared before that I wasn't a big reader growing up, but when I went off to my first summer as a camp counselor in college, I took all these books with me. And in between being with campers and at night, you know, we didn't have cell phones or TVs and things to like – check or doom scroll we i I had these books by flashlight or candlelight to read these books and it was it was very magical for me to encounter these books and like you said the this kind of episodic island island adventure to adventure was great because I could read a little bit put it down, and couldn't wait to see what happens next and so out of all the books this tends to be my my favorite and one I, I love the most only because it just captivated me uh, so much and it really you know this is a book about um, Edmund and and Lucy and Prince Caspian and Aslan, but but I really think it's the transformation of Eustace that that this book is yeah. about because the first yeah. sentence literally says <laughs> There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. (laughs) Yeah. That's the first <laughs> sentence, and then the last oh, sentence or the last paragraph is just when he returns back home. How everybody notices how much he's changed and how nicer he is, and what a mm-hmm. what a boy. Except his own like parents who are like, "Wow, what are, you know." And C.S. Lewis in here digs at like modernity and post-modernity, and modern parents, and what they're into <laughs> or not. But yeah. but uh, but like how much he's changed for for the better, and and so I really think it is his train. So the peak. Uh, or, or climax of this book, or the the rising crest of this wave, is chapter um, six when he's turned into a dragon, and then he's transformed into a new person because of his encounter with Aslan. And so, um, so yeah, I the, the whole book is just fantastic. But I I would say it is episodic. But these seven lords, this going from one to the next, it's not like C.S. Lewis is also. I mean, some of these. Seven lords, it's not that they find all of them. Some of them perish. Some of them are not around. Some of them <laughs> yeah. do survive. Some of them are still, kind of, I mean, so it's not like, oh, we found one, move on. Found one, move on. Find one that is wow. not happy ever after every single beat, every chapter. There's twists and turns and all kinds of diverse magical lands. He's doing everything he can at this particular book, these ideas. You may even have like a fallen <laughs> star, like a star who's like <laughs> talking and has a daughter and all those things. So it's. Really a lot of neat characters.
1: I will draw a comparison for all of you DC fans out there. If you are the type that enjoys storytelling, like when they, when they did DC Rebirth and went with um, Shazam and the Magic Lands and did mm. that whole series, that is very much, if you're into that, This is the kind of storytelling for you. And I'm really interested in the fact that this is the first one that you specifically read, Josh, because I point to something like Dawn Treader. And I would say that this is probably a summation of most of the points of that that I like best about fantasy. For me, when fantasy is done at its absolute best, it looks like Don Treader. And you had said something at the beginning of what you were and weren't looking for out of out of this. And I think that that's probably the most articulate that I've heard any kind of Lewis compared with something else even if it's Lewis against Lewis or Lewis against Tolkien or a lot of the different comparisons that happen there it really comes down to what is it that you're looking for because if you're looking for blow for blow action and wall to wall just craziness Tolkien's probably your guy you know i will say that that the the lord of the rings books are far more active than the narnia but for me, when I read something like this, this is everything that I love about fantasy because this is, a, this is a whole world and it has stakes and it has imperfect people and it has people that you can get behind and it has an ultimate hope and different things like that. Is it a little bit cheesy in comparison to its contemporaries? Absolutely. I'll be the first one to admit it. But for me, it's cheesy in all of the best possible ways. You know?
0: Yeah. So lots of things with everything you guys said. I First, I want to say that I think the the island by island kind of nature of it does make this a really good summer read. Since we, you know, Will talked about being excited for summer, geeking out on summer. This is a perfect one to pick up while you're at the pool, read the story of one island, put it down, maybe read the next island the next day. You know, it's fine. Also, I think it lends itself great to a video game. Bethesda, I know you're listening. Please create Dawn of the Voyage rather the video game. (laughs) We have four main characters to choose from. So it's the perfect size team for a game. You have the go find the seven lords, a bigger story behind that, even a dragon battle. Come on, guys. This is the story for a game. Anyway, also, I I hate to say this. I relate so much to Eustace because I always have felt like I was the annoying (laughs) kid. I was the one that people didn't want to be around. Like, I always felt like that was me. And just seeing his change and his wrestle with, I know I'm annoying, so I'm just going to be more annoying and lean into it. And seeing him change to tender up to kind of a different person through that big salvation moment where Aslan baptizes him, more or less. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is this is it. That is my, like, that's me. Like, I can, I can relate to that. And a lot of the other characters throughout all the books, I had a hard time being like, yeah, that's me relating to them. I understood them. I saw them in other people. But having the person who is, yeah, I'm annoying and people don't like me. Hey, cool. I get feeling that way. Anyway,
2: another another part of this book too is that you know, in in the first book, um, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, you have all four—you know, Peter, Susan, Edmund, Lucy. Uh, Then you have them come back to Prince Caspian. But the end of Prince Caspian, Aslan shares that Peter and Susan aren't allowed to come back; that their time in Narnia is over. So it's now Edmund and and Lucy's time to for to have their adventure there in this third kind of. Third book of the trilogy, and then at the end of this book, they're not allowed to come back. But it's Eustace that comes back for other adventures later on. And then you have the prequel with the Magister Night But we talk about, about Eustace as this transformation that has within the book. You know, there's there's this part in the book where he's he's kind of confessing and sharing, witnessing testimony to to what happened with him and how Aslan came to him and stripped and and he apologizes. He literally apologized for being rather beastly. And and then Edmund Edmund says this. He goes that. That's all right, said Edmund. Between ourselves, you haven't been as bad as I was on my first trip to Narnia. You were only an ass. <laughs> you were only an ass. I was a traitor. And so I'm like, oh, man, that's so good. So like there's this confession of confession, repentance, transformation that is a part of the Christian life. A lot of – I mean C.S. Lewis does a lot of theology and talks about the Trinity and, and who is Jesus. Like I think, but then again, that transformative nature of growing into the person that God's
0: calling us to be um, – is you see it unfolding in a children's book oh yeah and that's um that's that's how a lot of discipleship needs to look like i mean if you're in the church and you're listening that's it right you'll have new christians who are like man i can't believe i was this much of a sinner and man i did this and this i can't you know you i constantly hear people feel like well i can't be in ministry i used to be a blank and that's when the more experienced in the ministry like oh you don't even know how bad i was you only did this i was the chief of sinners," to quote paul right that is discipleship modeled at its best. Would now be a good time for me to just gush over chapter ten. The 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 part that sold me on this whole series. Yeah, yeah. go for it. All right, okay, guys. I <laughs> I can't express how much I love this whole scene. So Lucy is in the magician's house. And she goes upstairs to find this book. It's a book of spells. It's a incarnations or something. I forget what it's called, but basically a witch book for people whatever I know some people have problems with magic and witches but that's that's basically what this is and she opens it up and and the way it works it's like you can turn forward but you can't turn back there's all these different rules she flips through this book the image are coming to life as she's going through it and there's one where it's um you can see yourself the way that everybody else sees you and you know a lot of the stuff of oh you can be the most beautiful person and you kind of see revealed to her when the imagination is open to I can make this happen you get a look of how Lucy really sees herself as not the most beautiful as she does have some self image problems you know, and she's, she's been the good one this whole time, but she still has that attached to her. Then she comes across a spell where she can make the invisible visible, which uh, makes me think of like Romans one where it's the, um, even the invisible attributes of God have been known from the beginning. Right? So she says this thing and you start to see different things come to life that were invisible all around her. And next thing you know, Aslan shows up and she runs up and she hugs him. And he's like, I've always been here. When you made the invisible visible, of course you saw me. I'm always here. I never left you. Mm -hmm. And man, that was powerful. And it said when he was hugging her, when she was hugging him, she thought she could almost hear him purr. And that to me, that was just such a moment to me where I'm like, man, God of the universe. Loves us so much that when we embrace him, I don't think that God purrs. Let me go ahead and put that out there. I don't <laughs> think God purrs. But that imagery of just yeah. how much God loves us, that he was able to portray that through this image of a lion purring was amazing. Uh, then she, she, one of the spells she found in the book was she found a, a story of refreshment was one of the spells. And she couldn't flip back to read it again. And she's like, Aslan, will you tell it to me? Will you tell it to me? I can't find it in the book. It won't let me go back. And he says, I will tell you that story. Over and over for years and years to come, man, what a line, what a moment the God of the universe wants to comfort you for years and years to come. I was sold that was it. that was the moment that I was like, okay, yep, this is this is gold. <laughs> that's what I needed in life at the moment that I picked this book up,
1: so was yeah that let me let me jump right in there because that's one of those things that's so it's so beautiful when you see even a reflection of that wonderful truth and i think you know for a long time we have seen um a focus on fear the lord your god mm. and in in other contexts love the lord your god but far too little emphasis is put on the god that we love and respect and fear and worship loves us back individually yeah. and and has and and seeks for that individual nature yes there's there is the the 1a and 1b of that conversation that is the individual and the corporate we cannot forget the corporate in the whole matter but just because mm-hmm. we do not forget the corporate does not mean that that negates the individual and that is such A game changer when Uh you make that connection point and you realize, well, what if if the gospel is getting at surrendering your life and, and, and becoming one with God, surrendering the self and just entering into that relationship wholeheartedly with God? That's beautiful, yeah. and like and and like we said, I think it was Dan and I on the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe episode. Part of what I fundamentally believe makes works like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the Narnia, the Narniad as a whole, and I highlight the 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 Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe because it's the biggest example of this. But I would say in this trilogy, there's others, obviously, but. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, and Voyage of the Dawn Treader are very much a trilogy within a greater whole of the storytelling. It, that that it's it's shown throughout all of it. This reflection of the truth. You have the truth. You have the source material. What do you do? You go to scripture. You want to lo- know more about God's character and more about mm-hmm. this whole kingdom thing, the gospel of the good news of the kingdom of God. Then then turn to scripture ultimately, but. Yeah. God gave us all creativity and passions, and the, the entirety of the thesis statement of systematic ecology, and 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 part of that is we can use that to reflect the source material, and I really do believe that it is so gorgeous. And it's beauty and it's grandeur and everything over here that even when it's reflected by other sources, it's still beautiful. It's still rich. And then you couple that with somebody like Lewis that wrote the world that he did in the style <laughs> in which he did it. Yeah. This is the thing yeah. that is just so rife with truth and, and, uh, allegory but also creativity and fiction and it and and you create this beautiful soup that for me gets right at that core of the things that really make me geek out and make me appreciate processing geek culture and and different ips and things like that
0: yeah and i yeah, think it. that might be part of what really sold me on this book over some of the others is like *Lion the witch in wardrobe is great It's telling that story of the God that sacrificed and came back. I grew up in the church. I've heard that story a million times. I come across this. You do not hear a million times that God wants you to just hold on to him. And he wants to tell you comfort, years and years of comfort. Very true. Will, I heard you start (laughs) – no, I
2: was just gonna say, like, yeah, that in terms of like the that love and grace of God that was there from the beginning and has always been with us. That that God, it's not just us loving God. Um, that's of of course one hundred percent important. But but that that God loved us first, and so right. here is mm-hmm. Aslan. It has always been there in Narnia. Yeah, he came back and made a dramatic appearance back and changing winter to summer and the thawing out of Narnia and the Lion which in a wardrobe. But but here you see in this kind of the daily lives of. Uh, of of the adventurers in the book um their encounters with aslan does hold up a mirror it does uh transform them they do wrestle with their identity and their expectations of how they see themselves how they see others and their callings and gifts in the world. And that's kind of what we do here with or it is what we do with, with systematic ecology. Like we we hold up these stories and these things we geek out on as uh, a, a mirror or or a reflecting pool or a magic book that we're there looking through to capture our imagination that will reveal the truth of the deeper questions and things that we're all asking mm-hmm. and wrestling with. And so so yeah, this particular book and that that scene with Lucy with the book this holding up a mirror of how she sees herself and in a different angle or a different way. Hopefully all these different IPs and things we geek out on, whether it's, you know, Star Wars or Miss Marvel or or um sports, wrestling and, and Narnia holds up a mirror that can help us understand deeper who we are and who we're being who we're called to be uh, from the God who loved us first. Joe. So you had mentioned
1: vibing hard with Eustace and seeing a lot of you in Eustace for me, even though I found these books well into my adult years, I saw a lot of me in Lucy during that, um, during that scene. I, I don't know how long I've, I've had this cause reality is, perception in a lot of instances but i for as long as i can remember have struggled with uh body dysmorphia like legit body dysmorphia mm-hmm. not like bad self-image but like you don't see what's actually there sort of thing yeah. and to see it authentically that showcased especially at a time where beauty standards were different. And that, and that a bit of that also goes into when we have a conversation about the movie and how the movie tackled this part of the story. Um, You know, we did not grow up in a time. And I know for generations that came before us in a lot of respects, they had it even harder than, than, our generation did, but our generation didn't grow up in a friendly environment to having a bad self-image or to be, yeah. atta- to, to have mental illness or any of those things. I'm not trying to say Lucy had, to, but I'm saying that even, even talking about that, that, that significance is, is so there to be addressing that, especially in a young woman. It just, yeah, it's layered, it's nuanced. And it's one of those <laughs> things that, that, it doesn't matter if you are of the actual grouping that's being referenced. So, if you are a a young woman reading this, or a, a our age woman, or us, or whatever, so many so many people can take something like that and I and be able to identify themselves in that, and and then to see that particular the way that was that circle was squared. Was through the intervention of the divine. We'll say whatever. <laughs> like yeah. that's uh, that is what it is. You know, uh, even though they don't out and out use that language within canon, they, come uh, pretty close, though. <laughs> they do come pretty <laughs> close. They all but use the phrasing, but you know, it's so gorgeous. Because you can sit there and learn all these these different you know steps to a better mindset and steps to this and that and and I'm not I'm not devaluing psychology or anything like that because I of all people will rally behind people getting help and all of the, yeah. and, and normalizing that but Absolutely. I can tell you that the only thing that has made me cool with being alone in a room with me is understanding fundamentally my identity in Christ. And that sounds like the Hallmark answer. I know it does guys. Trust me. I tried to fight against that Hallmark answer because I didn't want it to be that cheesy. I didn't want it to be that simple, I think in about be- in in a way of doing it because what if God wasn't there? Then I'm left alone with myself again, but that's the gimmick. Aslan's always there. God's always there and we circle back <laughs> to the to the yeah. topic at hand.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people, especially people like us, I'll say Sometimes life is so hard. We don't like the idea that there's a simple answer. Like, like we we hate that idea. Like it's so hard. It has to be the the answer has to be difficult, or else why haven't I found it yet? Yeah. You know, that's sort of the mentality. And really, a lot of times the answer is that, right? It is hold on to God and let Him purr over you. Yes, I'm being cheesy, but get over it. Okay. Hey, so. we had a conversation before <laughs> I hit record about
2: cats, and so the fact and and the fact that you're bringing up uh, purring and God, I, I think is like uh,
0: is pretty 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 fun. Yeah. <laughs> so that is my favorite part of this book. Uh did you guys have a single favorite part or a favorite island maybe that they visited that you'd like to share? So at the
1: time where where they come they come across the the body of water that will turn you into gold <laughs>
0: was yeah. probably
1: the most allegorically impactful for me um i am a serial entrepreneur by trade um i have been a part of entrepreneurialism in the business world now for almost a decade and and coming when i first came across these i was still very much steeped in that culture and what does my life look like now and and having like success and and money and all of those things not be the the central focus and all of those kinds of things and so that that i already went on about the about the the lucy um scene but that is probably the other most impactful thing for me because it showed, I don't know, it showed a human side. Yes, we all yeah. like a a protagonist that, you know, will eventually overcome the odds. And we know that they will overcome the odds and all of those kinds of things. I like 80s cartoons as much as the next guy does. It's all <laughs> good. But there's value in being able to see human struggle within your main characters, that's part of what yeah. i loved about the last one in the temptation with the white witch that's really what i what i i think is so brilliantly displayed in this trilogy of books is the human side of it all and me that human side was like I said, expressed in in that scene, um, in a major way that didn't directly involve Aslan. Because, you know, you love the magical moment of being able yeah. to see that God <laughs> is always with you and all of those kinds of things. And it's a good reminder and when it's portrayed in this way through Aslan. But this is there there are points in this where it, it seemingly gets dark and it's seemingly a lot of of human processing and things like that. And I think it's valuable to see that part of the story told as well.
0: Oh yeah. A lot of this is allegory upon allegory and he managed yeah. to stack them and interweave them in just a beautiful way. Uh, Will, did you have a favorite Island or a favorite scene? Yeah, I, I'll go back
2: to Eustace as transformed into a dragon and then being transformed back into a new, new person. And that description of, of being uh, Trying to tear it off himself, but it was really the claws of Aslan that tore it off. That mm, that yeah. was such a great impact. And then again, the seafarer part, just being on the oceans, great. Um, but um, Reepicheep, oh, yeah. Rip Repe, Reepicheep, is that how you say his name? Repecheep? Yeah. Like yeah, what a you great know, character! It, what a great character! And and I see him almost like the the Hobbit of this world in terms of like Lewis's way of the small or what you would think would be small and insignificant ends up being the most uh, has the most valor and bravery. uh, of them all and and his journey going to the very end of the sea crossing over to Aslan's country um, it, it, the new land is, is pretty powerful because that's his story comes to a, a close and he's able to assume and be be with Aslan like what a great and, and him and Eustace becoming friends at the end and becoming buddies because there were such enemies there at the beginning that transformation the friendship that emerges out of that
0: just gives me chills to think about that honestly where I'm like Reepa just in general you can almost hear his name and go like there's so much attached to that name because mm-hmm. no yeah. other character has that name in anything so I'm like oh yeah it's right. very much like if someone says, um, uh, "Sam," like Sam and Frodo, and I'm like, yep, "Yep, yeah." You don't need to say anything more. Like it's just say the out. name. You wouldn't know it from looking at me, but most of my dad's side of the family are very short people. And they all have that fighting spirit. So when I yeah. read Cheap, I'm like, I know that character, <laughs> and I'm like, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, I know that guy. Know that him. is right.
2: And, oh, and it circles back around to what what Tolkien and what C.S. Lewis is doing. G- Jesus often uses, um, you know, parables and teachings pointing to the things that are small or, yeah. or, or and that seem insignificant, but have great impact. Whether they're seeds or or whatever, um, and and I I. When we look at our universe and we see how vast it is over and over again, science is telling us how how small we are in terms of our planet and where we are in terms of humans and how many stars and galaxies and I'm marveled by all that, and I geek out on that, and I love it uh but the often time attached with that is like well, we're just small, and look how insignificant we are but I'm like, no, no, you look back to what teaches jesus he he made made a a conscious choice to point out the things that seemed small and insignificant as having impacts and being important. So no matter how small you are, you are important. And and even in the quantum world, we can go smaller and smaller and smaller. There's infinite smallness as much as there are infinite vastness within the universe. And maybe we're just right there in the middle. But I think um, that to me keeps going back to in terms of the, the ministry of Jesus and his teachings and, and these, these stories, whether it's Lord of the Rings or, or Narnia, that the, the small and what seems insignificant end up having a great impact. Well, can I rip off
1: your? Can I rip off your gimmick from the Jaws episode, Josh? Um, I listened to that today, actually, and I was reminded. You know, I I really do vibe with Paul when he talks about the the sum total of God being able to be experienced through His creation, yeah. and you look at something like the vastness of the ocean. You know, I know in a lot of sermon illustrations mm-hmm. and things like that, it's that whole idea of space. I know for you, you're a bit of a, a sci fi nerd and all that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit more nuanced than that. But generally speaking, if you're hearing an analogy from a pulpit, it's about space and the vastness of space and how small we are and all of those kinds of things. But then when you, t- but taking a step back and, and understanding the same idea, just from a different angle, that we, there's so much of this creation just here that we have no idea what's there we have no idea from the from the quantum level on up we have no clue it's simply uncharted and dangerous to the to these the carbon based life form to be able to go and check it out and be able to um explore and things like that and it just you you take a step back and realize that there are things at play Regardless of where you land from a theological standpoint, from a scientific standpoint, you realize that there's these things at play that are going on around you that in comparison to you makes you simply a cog in the machine at best. And yeah. and I understand that's a tough pill to swallow in a day and age where you know one of you guys mentioned a book of incantations. That's basically what it is because Lewis, in in his day, the the big alternative is paganism. It's witchcraft, things like that. There's a reason why people, if they want to give a label to the day and age that we live in, it's ne- it's a, it's neo paganism. We see that on the regular, all around us. And so I think that might be why some of this is hitting hits hard with our millennial generation is because we are living in that not to exclude you will, but that has (laughs) been it's a lot of the younger people that are trying to have this cooperative effort between the new age and the Christian to try and create something that isn't there that that doesn't that was never meant to exist in the first place that's why you have christian witches and all of these kinds of all this kind of nonsense and you know i i think that that also is resonant in there, just to add to the the nuance and beauty of, and different shading of this kind of story, because ultimately that's what it is. We love we love the hero's tale. We love different story archetypes, and the, a lot of this is is Lewis drawing on that, like we've said. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even if it's his wrappings, at the core is elsewhere. You know, and 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 I think that that is is what makes it so part of what makes it so beautiful.
0: Yeah, yeah. just keep circling back to that just chapter 10 for me. And, and I know we we've talked a lot about chapter six, too. Those two chapters are just so powerful. And you're just talking about how how small some of this makes us feel. I mean, to me, looking at string theory, looking at atoms, cells, neurons, protons, on all of these things, looking at how small, how detailed everything is, is more overwhelming than looking at how the vastness of space for me. And, you know, for Will, it's space. And it's so interesting how we are reminded how small we are and also how much God loves us all in one book. And this one scene, we see this contrast where you're talking about paganism and the worldly mindset of thinking about my self-image, and it's immediately contrast with how much Aslan loves her, right? It's like how much God loves us. And I'm like, man, what a contrast. This paganism, this worldly mindset has nothing on that. That being said, man, and there's so much more I'd like to talk to. You. I mean, I would love to just sit here and discuss an hour of how he portrays the sea. I love how he just describes it. I could describe the island where there were um, slavery was still a thing. And the analogy there, there is so much in this book. But one thing I did want to circle to before we wrapped up, you both mentioned how this was kind of the end of one trilogy, right? This was the uh, return of the Jedi. We'll call it that sort of thing. I also think that it's the beginning of the next trilogy. It is somehow both the end and the beginning. Because you see this end of the one story of the main, you know, four that we started with. But this is the first of another trilogy where you kind of see Eustace's start. And it goes through this, uh, the silver chair and the final battle. And one thing that I I love the end of this where Aslan says, you'll know me by a different name in your land. And then it proceeds to say, and Eustace became nicer. (laughs) Yeah, so how how should people prepare for the next two books? We have two left in this series.
2: Well, let me circle back around. That I do, I do think that's a powerful moment in this book where you talked about Aslan telling. Edmund and Lucy, that they they can't come back there, but they will mm-hmm. discover him by uh, by another name. And I think that that's just C.S. Lewis being, of course, this is allegory. I'm talking about Jesus here. But this whole <laughs> aspect of like using your imagination and fantasy to get to know Jesus through different means, not just reading all four Gospels and memorizing them. There's different ways of how you can know him on the other end of things is way to way to discover him, the way to serve Christ. Where is Christ? Christ is Christ. Love is love. God is God. Truth is truth capital T all, all around the world. So how do you get to know uh, God by different means? And so um, by getting to Aslan, you get to know Jesus. I, I think that's just a powerful, powerful, and you can do that from the other angle and other direction as, as well.
1: Yeah. I feel like for me, this is as close as I get to what I've um, giving you a bit of a hard time over the last uh several months that we've been a part of each other's lives, Josh, of being <laughs> into that Disnified cupcake stuff and and all of that. And you know, you look at the reality of what we've got here. And this this is meant to make you feel a way. This is meant to to hit the nail directly on the head and say, you know what? We're getting at a thing here. This is what we're getting at, and just to to almost break the fourth wall in that way, and just go there and say <laughs> that. I think that to me is so beautiful for exactly. What it is for everything that it is. Is it—is it shield, uh, sword and sorcery and all this n- nuance and this and that and this whole? No, that's not what it's meant to be, though. If you want that, look elsewhere. <laughs> but if you're yeah. looking for something that is a strong, foundational, unapologetic story wrapped up in honestly very compelling characters because they're all based on very human archetypes, this is it.
0: Yeah. For sure, for sure. All right. Any other um, notes? I mean, I, I do. I want to say, you saw Eustace's salvation here. You see what he's going to be like as a Christian. You know, he's not a Christian, but you know, just just roll with it because that's what this is. I'm excited for you guys to see more or less his walk after his transformation in the last two parts of this series. I don't think I'm on either of those books, so I hope our listeners enjoy what you guys put out. I'm sure Joe's part of it. Um, but yeah, I definitely. If nothing else, keep in mind Eustace for the next two.
2: Yeah, this yeah. made me want to go back and read um, The Silver Chair again. It is a good, it's a great book. And if you want to hear more about Eustace or, or read more about him, go hop on
0: that one. I'm am going to pick that one back up over the summer for sure. Yeah, those are the next two in our series. We're going to talk about Silver Chair, then the final battle will be the last two, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And just kind of uh for, for those that are tracking along with the, with the reviews and stuff, if you... Are unfamiliar, we are now heading firmly into uh more world building. There is absolutely still character development and things like that, mm-hmm. but a lot of this is scenery stuff with with players that have already been established elsewhere um pep- pe- peppered in there so
0: yeah, yeah, I love when you already have the characters and he's able to just get into it. The final battle as a book. That, that that's If I had to pick a second favorite, that's probably my second favorite of the series. It's really good. So I'd definitely be looking forward to that. And if you guys want to hear our review of some of the movies, this is the last of the Disney movies, right? Was the Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Yeah. Yeah. So you guys can go over to Patreon.com forward slash Systematic Geekology. We do review the movies. We're going to be reviewing Voyage of the Dawn Treader soon over there. That being said, uh, let's go ahead and get into the wrap up, guys. Uh, did you either of you have any recommendations outside of the Narnia ad Utah or... Maybe one of the other Narnia ads that you'd like to tell them to check out.
1: Yeah, I'm going to take the opportunity to just go ahead and plug the plug the material, and you know, especially if you've been tracking with the reviews and stuff. If you haven't read through the Narnia ad, it's one of the the lighter reads, even though it's more books than some of the other contemporaries. It's. It, I feel like you'll be able to get get through it quicker. So that would be my recommendation is go from Pillar, go to Post, and and just read through all of the Narniad. And then geek out on all of the adjacent stuff to the Narniad
2: because there's a lot of material out there. Joshua, you're saying that you had not watched the Voyage
0: of the Dawn Treader movie? I, I tried to watch the Disney movies. I made it through part of Lion which the Wardrobe and just decided that I can't stand this so much that I didn't bother trying to watch any of the other ones. Okay, I didn't even finish that one. Well,
2: if you love if you love the, the they do switch it up, and I was a little disappointed in the movie. I'll give my, I'm, I don't think I'm on the movie one, but my quick hot take is that, like, you know, I, I so love that they were searching the lords and they were doing like stuff in the movie. They they're searching for swords, and there's like a grand battle at the end. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And, and the book doesn't have a climactic end to it. Um, and so there, there were beats that I was like, oh, man, that's not like the book. But uh, but still, all in all, I enjoyed it. I think the one who played You, just did a great job, and my kids love it. So, so yeah, I recommend it, but just hold it loosely. It's not exactly yeah. like the book. The same beats are there, and he Aslan does even say, you'll know me by other names so from Disney even going out on a limb to say like, yep – this is Christ, and you can find Christ in other ways. was very surprising that they even named it. I was like, oh, I'm proud of you guys. I'm proud of you guys. Uh, my recommendation would be, and I said this in another uh, Narnia uh, podcast that I was on with talking about um, Prince Caspian, is if you haven't seen Shadowlands, the movie, which is a movie about C.S. Lewis they made in the 90s, Anthony Hopkins is playing c.s lewis and it's him wrestling with the problem of pain and joy yeah it is it is it is not it's yeah it's a it's not a direct biography of c.s lewis but it's anthony hopkins playing c.s lewis and wrestling with the problem of pain when joy gets cancer and uh it's a very powerful movie and i think very well done and a great soundtrack uh so go watch that movie it's a movie with anthony hopkins playing c.s lewis
0: all right, so um, my recommendation is going to be my favorite C.S. Lewis stories are the Trace Trilogy or the Cosmic Trilogy. They go by a couple yeah. different names. If you type in mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy, it will come up. I think we're reviewing some of those later on in the year. Yeah, I, I get on to I it. think they're fantastic. They, I'll say they're probably not as well written as Narnia, but I like the concept better. Yeah. So yeah. that's where I fall with it. I really enjoyed those. I think it's on Patreon. Joe and I are going to debate which series is better, which I gotta say, it's sort of like <laughs> debating, do you want a hundred pounds of gold or a hundred pounds of silver? Honestly, I'll take either. That being said, guys, go over to systematic geology.org. You can hit the drop-down menu, hit host. You'll see all of the other things that we're attached to, the other podcasts, our churches, all that stuff. Check us out there. Again, we're gonna do the movie review on the Patreon. Also, we have a new series starting on Patreon called Drinks with Tegis. Where uh, our other host, TJ Blackwell, is going to be interviewing <laughs> random ones of us each week about random types of drink. He might talk to me about sodas, Will about beer, and Joe about tea. We, we don't know yet. Go over there and find out. <laughs> that being said, guys, uh, let us know if you have anything you'd like us to read at our website as well. And remember, please remember, we're all the chosen people. When you hold on to Aslan, he will purr. We are a geekdom of priests.